Thanks for tuning in to The Happiness Playbook, a podcast where we explore the why and how of happiness. I'm your host, Neil Hooper, and I just wanted to remind you that life is a team sport. So let's play together. Deep breaths, pink elephants, yawning dogs. We have a great show lined up for you today. Buckle up because we are exploring Be Present. Let's kick things off with our highlight reel where we share some of the good things happening in the world. Dog groomers treat lost stuffed animal to relaxing spa day is the headline we read today for our good news. Our story today has to do with a dog groomers clinic finding a lost stuffed dog and then proceeding to treat the stuffed dog as if it were a real animal. And this was a lost stuffed animal. What they did was they gave it a bath, they brushed its hair, and they even put a little a little uh, blue bow around its neck. And they were posting these images to social media, hoping that the owner of the lost stuffed dog would be found. And sure enough, they got in touch with the dog groomers. Um, this was Lavish Dog Day Spa in Portland, Oregon. And what a touching story. The little boy's mother who lost the dog said on Facebook, thank you so much for looking out for my son's puppy. He was so happy to be reunited with him. This story is so beautiful on so many levels. But, you know, first we look at the groomers. They were totally looking outward for the owner of this lost stuffed animal dog when they they could have, you know, just cast it aside or thrown it away or donated it. But then they totally let go and play to make it even more magical for this child who had lost their stuffed dog. What a great story. For our team huddle today, let's read a review from P. Dufort. Play theory can change our lives for the better. I am so excited for this podcast. We are so excited to have you tuning in. Thank you, P. Dufort. We are always grateful for the support and the reviews. Keep them coming. For today's episode, we're going to have a little fun. For the next 20 seconds, I'm going to play some soothing music while you think about anything you want to. What you had for breakfast, your next vacation, maybe what your pet did that was naughty or super cute. The only rule is you cannot think of pink elephants for the next 20 seconds. Every time you think of a pink elephant, you have to say elephant out loud. Ready? No cheating. Here we go. Okay, so how did it go? Did you succeed in not thinking of pink elephants or even elephants in general? If you're like most people, you didn't last five seconds before that forbidden thought crossed your mind. So what happened? I mean, before this little game, I'll wager the last thing on your mind were pink elephants. Unless you're watching the traumatic scene from Disney's Dumbo. And you can't tell me I was the only child that had freaky dreams after seeing that. I know there are others out there. In a blog post from Elevate Counseling, we read, 
In psychology, this phenomenon is known as the ironic process theory, whereby deliberate attempts to suppress certain thoughts actually make them more likely to surface. Now, think about how you've tried to avoid unwanted thoughts in the past. Has your strategy been to just stop thinking the thought? Do you ever find yourself saying to others, just don't worry about it? Think about your success with the pink elephants. Now that you've experienced the ironic process theory, you can better understand how just saying no to an intrusive or unwanted thought is not enough. I suppose I owe an apology to those of you who'll be seeing pink elephants all day, but that's how it works. When we attend to something, even something we don't want to think about, our brains, our amazing brains, zero in on it. Some mountain bikers talk about a phenomenon where whatever you look at while riding is where your tire is going to go. So if you notice a nail in the road and zero in on it, it's going to actually be harder to not ride over it. Now, think about a cliff instead of a nail and you'll wonder why people ride mountain bikes. But here's the deal. This phenomenon can work in your favor too. You notice a nail in the road then focus on the spot of pavement next to the nail and you'll clear it no problem. Riding on the infamous Cliffside Portal Trail in Moab, Utah, riders have to focus on the trail and not the cliff in order to stick to the trail like a train on a railroad track. There's another mountain biking term called threading the needle, which basically means when you're faced with a technical challenge, a biker can thread the proverbial needle by keeping a sharp focus on the exact path before them, blocking out all other possibilities in their mind. That is the power of attention or focus. Did you know our ability to focus is like a muscle? It can be strong or weak. We can develop it and flex it or let it deteriorate in atrophy until we are helplessly overwhelmed in the daily deluge of information overload. Have you ever felt that sense of too much info coming your way? Well, you're not alone. Consider ice cream. If you're like me, you might have at one point in your life wondered what the number 31 means on the Baskin Robbins ice cream sign. Well, here's the story. The company was founded in 1945 in Glendale, California, and has since grown to become the world's largest chain of ice cream shops. The company started serving up the basic three or four flavors from six shops in the Los Angeles area. Then, in 1949, they started experimenting with new ingredients and flavors until they had a different ice cream flavor for each of the 31 days of the month, hence the name Baskin-Robbins 31 Flavors. Their flavor scientists have been hard at work over the years because they now have a staggering 1,300 flavors. If you're like me, anytime you've gone into a Baskin-Robbins, you feel completely overwhelmed trying to narrow down the choice for your ice cream. Yep, I'm that obnoxious guy asking for 20 samples of everything. Hashtag, sorry not sorry. If you've ever struggled to decide which flavor you want, trust me, you are not alone. In fact, overchoice or choice overload is a very real cognitive impairment where people have a difficult time making a decision when faced with lots of choices. This is also referred to as decision fatigue. So how many options are too many? According to psychologist George Miller, the answer is seven, give or take a few. 
Miller coined Miller's Law, which is the number of objects an average person can hold in working memory is about seven. So, anytime we have more than seven options, give or take a couple, to choose from, we are running out of short-term memory, and it takes a lot more energy to focus and make our choice. Can you relate to this? Do you find yourself zoning out just from the sheer volume of information and decisions that lay before you? Now, life wasn't always this way. A life lived before the internet, high-speed travel, and even telephones meant that there were a lot less decisions to make. Overall, there were less options and therefore less choices. I'm not going to say life was boring because some of the greatest minds and creations of genius came from times in history that by today's standards were rather bland. Maybe that was the factor in how these great minds came to be. Imagine, for example, if Shakespeare was constantly checking his email. How would that have affected his prolific writing? What if Claude Monet, the famous French painter, was so absorbed in choosing an Instagram filter that he didn't spend the time to study the water lilies? Or imagine if Van Gogh had too many places to be so he didn't hang out by those haystacks all day and capture them at multiple times, recognizing the changing light revealed by the rotation of Earth. And I doubt Albert Einstein could have pieced together the theory of relativity while sipping his latte in the neighborhood Starbucks. Instead, he was known for sailing aimlessly on calm waters for hours. Such stillness allowed him to deeply ponder some of the most profound questions life has to offer. Granted, most of us are no Monets or Einsteins, and I'll concede that Van Gogh's mental health was not necessarily a prescription or ideal for overall well-being. Nevertheless, is there something more you aspire to than choosing the next ice cream flavor on date night? Would your life be enhanced if your ability to focus was strengthened? The answer to that question is an emphatic yes. Your ability to focus will serve you in every area of your life. That's why it is our first principle of play theory. Just like in our analogy from episode one of wanting to learn something new, you have to show up in order to do that. You have to step into the classroom, open the book, or as in yoga, find your drishti. <laughs> I am not saying that word right, I guarantee it. That is a Sanskrit word meaning attention or more literally where your attention goes, your energy flows. How cool is that? You're going to have to look up this word because uh, I'm, I'm saying it wrong, but drishti, it's D-R-I-S-H-T-I. Now, this is where the happiness playbook has your back. Your ability to focus is like a muscle that requires effort to develop and strengthen. And we're here to help you do just that. This doesn't mean you have to go to the cognitive focus gym, although if there were one, I'd show up. Think of it like exercise. A lot of us get plenty in our regular day-to-day -day activities. As long as we prioritize and make practical choices like riding the bike to work or taking the stairs instead of the elevator. And what we're going to do here is help you find those opportunities in your day-to-day -day life to flex and grow your ability to be fully present in your life. Any activity that we show up for and enthusiastically lean into will help us strengthen our focus muscle. 
Like doing a drill in pickleball to train to keep your eye on the ball when it connects with the paddle, we can do drills to improve our overall ability to focus. Now, we're going to do something fun and practice being present right now. For those of you listening in with your earbuds during another meeting or class, you may want to pause and come back to this when you can focus and be fully present to get the most out of this episode. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to keep talking, and at one point, you all listening right now are going to join in with me. You'll know what to say because you're going to just say everything I'm saying. You'll notice I'm now talking slower so you can join in saying exactly what I'm saying as I'm saying it. This is called voice mirroring. So we are all talking together now. Okay, if you cannot talk out loud and voice mirror, you can do it in your mind. Now that we all know what we are doing, we are going to focus and really listen to each word. Saying it as I say it and thinking of the word as we say it together at the same time. This is a great way to strengthen our focus muscle. We are doing this together. The sky is blue. Unicorns are magical. Pineapples are delicious. We are all saying these words at the same vanilla ice cream cone. Who's still with me? Hang in there even when the unexpected pickleball happens. Okay, that's good for now. I have a few questions for those brave souls who actually did the activity with me. How did that feel following along while I was talking? Did you find yourself listening more intently? Did other things become less distracting as you focused on my voice? Were you able to stay with me when my train of thought jumped the rail and went somewhere anticipated? And finally, did flexing your focus muscle in this way help you realize how much power there is in focusing and maybe even how challenging that can be when you're out of practice? A powerful way to up your happiness game is to strengthen your ability to be present. Another drill you can do to flex your focus muscle is meditation. Just minutes a day can be a powerful tool to increase mental awareness and keep you on the path to greater well-being. A year ago, I began regularly meditating, and let me tell you, it was hard at first. (laughs) I did it a few times on the train as I was going to and from work, and it was so hard to focus and, and to keep my thoughts from wandering. But over time, 
I really got better. I improved. And now I experience much greater control over my thoughts and am so much more able to be present. So I can speak to this personally that it does take practice, but it is so worth it. And this is super helpful because it offsets our brain's tendency to constantly seek out the negative by default. Our brains are all about survival, which means maximizing our longevity and minimizing our exposure to threats. Part of that survival mindset is efficiency and conserving energy. This results in our brains seeking to anticipate outcomes and use predictability to save energy and free up mental resources to perform other tasks. This tendency to constantly scan for threats can lead to anxiety, but it's important to know that our brains are hardwired this way as a survival tactic. Being aware of this tendency, taking note of what our brain is focusing on, and then having the skill to refocus it on more peaceful and productive thoughts is essential for us to manage that anxiety. When we meditate, we are developing the mental muscle that allows us to override our brain's survival-based tendency to always be scanning and analyzing the constant stimuli of our culture, environment, and media in search of threats to our well-being, and instead proactively focus on ideas and thoughts of our choosing. This is why it is so valuable to put in the time to pump that mental iron and up your happiness game through focus. Developing your ability to focus and be present with your thoughts allows you to focus on where you want to be instead of being tossed to and fro by all the ideas that everyone else is pushing on you. In Hatha Yoga, you hold a pose that is stretching a muscle group for a lengthy period of time. A good Hatha Yogi will encourage you to breathe into the area where you're feeling tension. There's a tendency to recoil from the discomfort of stretching, but if you're instead able to be fully present in that pain and tension and try to send breath to the area being stretched, the brain now views the pain as feedback about the progress happening, which brings relief. With this focus, the discomfort becomes manageable and even satisfying when we are able to use our focus to recognize even minuscule improvement. Now, the magic happening here is made possible by focusing on the breath rather than the pain. And just like the tendency in mountain biking mentioned earlier to go where you are focused, when we focus on the breath instead of the pain, it will take us where we want to go instead of resisting going somewhere we are avoiding, like the pain. All forms of yoga emphasize a focus on breathing. This is a part of yoga's transformational power. It's both physical and mental. If your mind is wandering all over the place, you're just exercising and you won't get all of the additional benefits from a yoga practice. It's interesting to note that a lot of fine arts degrees in acting actually require you to take yoga classes. An acting role requires a huge amount of focus and yoga helps develop that skill. And the ability to focus, just like pickleball or playing the violin or any other skill, can be developed and strengthened through practice. So, take that breath, then another, and another. 
Just breathe and be aware of what you are focusing on. Now, here's a time when I flex my focus muscle in a very stressful situation to avoid going somewhere negative. Ah, there I was, getting ready to introduce the wedding couple, sweating, worried, and anything but mentally present. My sister had kindly asked me to emcee her wedding reception, and in spite of all the preparation and time I put into it beforehand, when the moment arrived, I was nervous, to say the least. There was a long list of things on my mind and worries that I had. I was worried about forgetting names when I was introducing the wedding party or sharing an embarrassing story that was going to ruin the moment about my sister. And all of these thoughts were swirling in my head as each moment passed and the moment, the magical moment got closer and knowing that this was one of the most important moments of my sister's life. And it was being placed in my hands. As I thought about this, my fear grew. and My fingernails retreated as I clenched them tightly into my sweaty palms. I'm sure we can all relate with similar experiences where we have been pulled from the present moment by fear. It happens all the time. The funny thing is that by feeding these fears and dwelling on them, just like the biker focusing on the cliff, and in my case... I was actually increasing the likelihood that they would come to pass. You know, giving in to all of these worries and stresses and anxieties was actually making it more likely that I would fumble someone's name or, or not be present and mess something up or miss a cue. Like fear, there are many detractors that threaten our abundant ways of living. Regret, stress, longing, excessive daydreaming. These are all detractors that dilute divide and distract us until we no longer show up in our own lives. In this example, my fear of what could go wrong, future tense, was pulling me out of the present and hindering my performance in that specific and very important moment for my sister. But just as fear, anxiety, and stress pull us out of the present and into the future, we also have to be careful because regret longing, and excessive dreaming pull us into the past. How often do we allow ourselves to be robbed of fully enjoying the precious experiences of each day because we are either needlessly living in the future or helplessly living in the past? Take a moment and ask yourself, what keeps you from living fully present in each moment? Do you allow technology to rob you of your current life by trading your nows for throwback Thursdays and Insta Envy? If we are not mindful and careful, all of us can become so focused on technology and social media that it's impossible to be present even if we are quote-unquote connected through social media. It's rather ironic because this two-dimensional connectivity offered by social media can cause us to miss out on the much more meaningful conversations, thoughtful questions, or beautiful moments that are happening in 3D all around us in real time. Now, I gotta tell you, my legs are very sore (laughs) because just days ago, I had the opportunity to unplug in a beautiful way as I embarked on an adventurous 25-mile hike in one day through the Grand Canyon from the North Rim all the way to the South Rim. 
Now, it was pretty intense, and I assure you, I was with a rather adventurous group, but I knew that this week's episode was focused on being present, and so I actually recorded a little message for you that I want to share now. Hey, fam. (laughs) Out here hiking the Rim to Rim Trail in the Grand Canyon, and it is just breathtaking. I just wanted to take a minute and share the bliss of being totally disconnected. Do you hear that? That is the sound of a beautiful river just flowing. The vistas, I wish you were here so you could see it, but I am totally off the grid. My phone is not connected. I don't have any reception at all. And it is just beautiful. As I look around at these wonderful, beautiful creations, I'm in nature with people I love, just being present, having deep conversations. I, I can just feel this power of, of be present, of the play theory principle of be present. And I just want to take a minute and, uh, and share that with you. So remember, if you need to unplug, if you need to get those distractions out of your life, just do it. Just take a break. Go out in nature. Go for a walk. You know, unplug. Leave your phone at home. Never underestimate the power of unplugging and being present. Now, as amazing and beautiful as that experience was to hike from rim to rim in the Grand Canyon, and I'll tell you what, there are things in there that you can't see anywhere else. That was beautiful, and it was it was so nice to be present and unplug. But the even more beautiful part about life in this episode that I'm happy to share is that you don't have to bid farewell to society and hike the Grand Canyon to unplug. You can do it anytime you want. But let's get back to the story about my sister's wedding. Once I identified that I wasn't being 100% present in the moment, what should I have done? Well, I'll tell you what I did do. Now, it was hard, but what I did is I recognized I was not being present, and then I regrouped. I started looking around the room at things that I could focus in on and really ground myself in the moment. So I I was looking at my sister's wedding dress and describing it in my mind. I was looking at people's facial expressions and trying to identify the emotions. I was looking at my family, focusing on gratitude for this moment and, and the part I was getting to play. And as I did that, it was very grounding and I realized the anxiety and the stress started to peel away. I have found that sometimes all it takes to bring myself back into the moment is slowing down, taking a deep breath, and then shifting my focus to an acute awareness of my surroundings. And that's what I did. Sometimes it's listening to the birds chirp outside or smelling food or simply touching the chair I'm sitting on and feeling the texture of the wood on my fingers. It's focusing in on one sense and really getting clear about it. Sometimes it's just as simple as refocusing on the task at hand that needs my attention. Now, as I was able to reground in the moment and cast off that anxiety and fear of failure, it was so magical. I was able to bask in that moment, to feel the love and peace as I focused on this special day and my sister who I love dearly. 
And anyone who knows my sister would say the same thing. She is one of the most beautiful souls you'll meet. But in hindsight, that could have turned out much differently. And I attribute that success of that moment to being present and really being able to reground in the moment. So I was able to avoid that crisis because I was able to flex my focus muscle and attend to what was truly important. Whatever method you use to bring yourself back into the moment, I can promise you without reservation that if you make being present a common practice, you will experience life in a more abundant state and you will have less fear and far less regret looking back on the moments when you were fully present. Whether it's work, a relationship, or even your sister's wedding reception, each moment will be full to bursting. It was this principle that saved me from anything catastrophic occurring that day, and it continues to serve me as I face all of the events of my life, including the quiet moments of stillness I find in meditation and the truly unique and majestic once-in-a-lifetime magical moments like being by my warrior wife's side as we welcome a perfect little soul into our family. These are the moments to savor, and they remind me just how valuable the practice of attention and focus really is. Now, you'll want to get started right away flexing your focus muscle, so here's our pro tip of the week. This week, in any conversation or any moment where you find yourself struggling to focus on someone that you want to pay attention to, try voice mirroring in your head. Try following along with their words, just like we did earlier in the episode, but just in your mind. This will help you stay present and increase your comprehension of what they are saying. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Happiness Playbook brought to you by Play Theory. Being present is the foundation to so much happiness, and I'm so grateful we got to cover it so profoundly today. This week, remember to unplug, focus on your breathing, and take even deeper breaths. Let's be present. And as always, remember that life is a team sport. Catch you next week.